Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Howard Yaris will join us to discuss understandable economics. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science show. Well, what's going on with the economy? Income staggering, middle class jobs disappearing. What can we do about it? And can we understand the economics behind it? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Mr. Howard Yaris. Mr. Yaris is an economist, professor, attorney, businessman, and activist who has taught a variety of courses on economics and business and currently teaches at New York University. Previously, he served as executive vice president and general counsel of Radian Group. He has penned the new book, Understandable Economics. Because understanding our economy is easier than you think and more important than you know. Mr. Yaris, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. What, what is going on with the economy? How can I possibly understand it? I'm curious why you decided to put the book together. I put the book together because it's not as complicated as economists make it out to be. The economy is about how we divide up all the great stuff our businesses and our means of production put forth. And so it's often overcomplicated. I think a lot of people are intimidated by economics, and I think economists are not very good at making their discipline accessible. So that's why I wrote the book. And the economy is really at the forefront of everyone's mind now, with inflation being so high. So I think it's important for people to understand what's going on. And that was the motivation for the book. Why do you think economics has this patina of being a little ununderstandable, or at least hidden behind graphs, complex terms? Is it really that complicated? No, it's just not. And that's what I do in understandable economics. First of all, we don't learn economics. It's not, I don't know where you went to high school. I went to high school in New York City. It's just not required. Trigonometry was required. Economics was not required. And I have a healthy respect for math. I was a math major, but I think that's downright ridiculous. Trigonometry is, is, is useful for, for some people, but economics is useful for everyone. And how will people know what politicians are advocating good policies or bad policies if they've never studied economics? So that's one problem. It's just not taught. And then it is taught on the college level. And it's also an array of formulas and jargon and graphs. And it loses the fundamental point about economics. It's about values. It's about how we divide up, as I mentioned before, all the stuff our society puts forth. And you're not going to get in this. Again, you're, this is a science show. Uh, it is not physics. It's not biology. It's not like you come up with all of these factors, put them in an equation, and out pops the right answer. There's no objectively right answer in economics. It's a decision we all should be making together. Economists like to portray themselves as being very scientific in their method. How exact can they be? Is economics really a science? That's a fascinating question. And, you know, before the 1930s, it wasn't even called economics. It was called political economy. And these people looked at the economy the way you and I would look at the weather. It, it rains, it pours, it's a sunny day. It's just something that has momentum of its own, and there's little we can do about it. And I think a large part of that was the fact that most people who did this were employed by universities and came from families that might have had some money. So they were insulated 
from the vicissitudes of the ups and downs of the economic cycle. And then came along a bunch of economists, most prominently John Maynard Keynes, who said, these economists say in the long run, everything will work out. Well, in the long run, we're all dead. People, this was during the depression, people are suffering and the long run is, is no solace to them. We have to do something to help them. So they started to look at what can be done. And that's when economics started to develop more like a science. You look at the world and you try to come up with plans, policies to make it better. But ultimately, it's not physics and science. There's no objectively right answer. There are ways to look at the world and try to make it better, but it's still a value judgment. And that's why it's so important for people to be involved in it to make sure their values are represented. What constitutes an economic system and how do we look at it? Well, you know, I often talk, I've been on many podcasts about personal finance and people are always very concerned about their personal finances as well. They should be. But the broader economy, the macro economy has just as much of an impact on people as their own personal decisions. And that's why it's so important for people to be involved in these issues, because there's so many politicians out there. There are so many people promoting policies that may or may not be good for the for each individual. The policies may be good for the politician or the politician's contributors, but they may not be good for the individual. And unless the individual has some understanding of the economy, they could be sold a bill of goods that really, if they thought about it, wouldn't be great for them. I'll give you an example. How about an example? Tax cuts for the wealthy, for the economy. And if you think about it, you know, a lot of politicians say it, but if you think about it, it, it doesn't make sense. It's not like you need some kind of advanced learning to figure out it doesn't make sense. If you give wealthy people money, what are they going to do with it? They'll probably save most of it because they have most of the things they want. But if you give a tax cut or a subsidy to middle-income people and lower-income people, what's going to happen? They'll spend it. And what happens when they spend it? Businesses have to expand to produce the goods and services that spending calls forth. And by spending, they employ more people and the economy grows. That's just one example of how it's not as complicated as a lot of people make it out to be and why it's important for people to understand economics. What do you think people should focus on, first off, the big, broad, macro issues that they should be understanding? First, that it's not as in intimidating as a lot of economists and other people make it out to be. They need to understand something that you cannot outsource to economists thinking they're going to come up with the right answer because the right answer depends upon your values and the economist or the politician making these decisions may not have the same values that you have. I'll give you an example, inflation. The Fed right now is trying to slow the economy so that there's less spending and less inflation. And that's a decision being made by these people. You and, you and I and maybe some of your listeners wouldn't agree with that. Maybe the Fed should take more of a risk and see if we could bring inflation down without cutting jobs, without slowing the economy. So it's to a large extent a value judgment, and people need to understand that. They just can't see these decisions to the seven bankers who run the Fed and who themselves are completely insulated from any downturn in the economy and say they're going to make the right decision for them. What about alternative currencies? Can they replace things like the dollar? That's so fascinating. You know, I think they surveyed economic students and the majority of economic students didn't understand how the money supply has increased, where money comes from, how money is created. It's kind of astonishing. The money there has a long history and I discuss it in understandable economics. There are basically three eras. There's the gold and silver era, which lasted a very long time from the Bible to the Middle Ages. 
Then there was the paper currency backed by gold and silver when we were on the gold standard. And the 1970s came to a complete end. It's just paper. Take the currency out of your wallet. You'll see on the top it says Federal Reserve Note. What does that mean? It's a note from a government organization. It's just a piece of paper. And I think it's kind of remarkable that you can't get all 8 billion people on this planet to agree on the location of the Empire State Building or the fact that the sky is blue or the earth is round. But every single one of those 8 billion people would value a $20 bill 20 times as much as a $1 bill. And there's no objective reason that they should. It's just the printer put a 20 rather than a 1 on it. So there's nothing backing it. And I think a lot of people don't fully understand that. And I think it's important for people to understand because money, obviously, this is the most obvious thing I can say, has an enormous impact on on our lives and what we do with them. We've all sort of agreed on a value for this, and it could easily just go the other way if everyone decided it wasn't worth anything. Yes, but that's extremely unlikely to happen because we all have an incredible vested interest in, in the money continuing to have value. Every dollar you have in your savings, every dollar in my I have in my savings makes us have a vested interest in that. So that's unlikely to go away. The big question is, and the question that a lot of people want to raise is, will an alternative currency appear or develop that will have the same credibility? And candidly, I don't think so, because simply the Fed is, we know who runs the Fed. I mentioned the seven Fed governors. They have a whole array of rules that they operate under. It's totally transparent. Who runs Bitcoin? It's, it's, it's a rhetorical question. I have no idea. No one does. Suppose that tomorrow uh, they doubled the number of Bitcoin. They say it can happen, but what are you going to do if it does happen? Who are you going to call? If there's a problem with your checking account, there's a customer service number, and you could get a person on the phone, and it's very frustrating. Well, when it comes to cryptocurrencies, there's no customer service number. There's no customer service. There's not even a bank there. It's a virtual entity. So for that reason, I don't see it taking on the credibility of the U.S. dollar. And there's also one little caveat there. To pay your taxes, you have to use the U.S. dollar. It's a little hook that gives the U.S. dollar extra credibility that you, have, you must use the U.S. dollar to pay your taxes. So I don't see the U.S. dollar being challenged anytime soon by these alternative currencies. Boom and bust cycles, as you point out in the book. I mean, what drives those sorts of economic cycles on a regular basis? You know, the cycles have been with us for a long time. People get overly optimistic and then things fall and then they get optimistic again. It's the business cycle and it's, it's been around as long as people have been around. The good thing that I could report on is that the cycles are less volatile than they used to be. There used to be bank runs where banks collapsed and people lost their entire savings and the hit to the economy was really awful. The swing in the economy have become much less severe post John Maynard Keynes in the 1930s when economists said we need to get involved to, to make these swings in the economy less harmful to people. And what do they do when people slow their spending because the economy is turning down? The government is supposed to increase its spending or the Fed is supposed to increase the money supply. And again, this is not rocket science. When the Fed increases the money supply, there's more money out there. When there's more money out there, people are more likely to spend. And when people are more likely to spend, businesses grow and they hire people and a virtuous circle gets developed. So the way it's explained in economics courses is often 
really difficult to follow. Uh, it's really a kind of basic process. If you, if you just use your common sense and look at what's going on in the world, and that's the point of the book, is to help the readers do just that. Do you think there's a unifying picture that encompasses all of these different areas of economies at different scales? Yes, and I think it's, it's great because the, the gestation of your show is science, and I think what people need to realize is that you, you do need mathematical tools and you do need really precise observations to fine-tune how these relationships in the economy work. That said, the basic relationships themselves Again, not fine-tuned, but the basic relationships themselves should become apparent to anyone closely looking at the world. So my advice to people is to not be intimidated, to listen to what they're being told by politicians, by quote-unquote economists, and to think through using their common sense, using rationality, and using some of the foundational knowledge I provide in the book to think through whether this makes sense. If the economy is turning down, they should think, how is giving tax cuts to wealthy people going to help the average business. They should think that if people have more money to spend, businesses are going to do better. And when businesses do better, they hire people. When they hire people, wages increase and then employment goes down. So that's an example of something that if you want to have a precise analysis of the effect on the economy, you need some mathematical tools. But the basic relationship, you don't need any math for that. You could just figure it out through using common sense. We were talking with Howard Yaris and his book, Understandable Economics, because understanding our economy is easier than you think and more important than you know. Mr. Yaris, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Oh, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.